As the number of collectors grading cards with Beckett continues to drop compared to the other grading services, should we be worried about the long-term value of our BGS slabs? Is now the time to sell? We'll tell you what we think next on Cards on the Table. Hello, sports card investors, and welcome to another episode of Cards on the Table, our fast-paced talk show where we debate important topics around the world of sports cards. And joining me for some juicy topics today from our team here at Sports Card Investor, we've got Teapot over here. Welcome to the show, sir. Howdy, hey, Chiefs 4 and one feels good. Barely, barely 4 and one but 4 and one how are the Lions doing, by the way? 1-4, and four. good uh, to have multiple favorite teams. And our boy Doug over here, who's, you've fallen on a little bit of a losing streak there too, your Wildcats. Oh, but my other team is Alabama, so <laughs> multiple teams, number one. Everybody's other team is Alabama, right? Welcome to the show, guys. We got a lot to get into, and we're starting by talking about BGS. As we have been watching the data every month that Gemrate puts out about the number of slabs that are graded by the different grading companies, we're seeing companies like PSA trend in one direction, we're seeing Beckett BGS trend in another. And in fact, looking at the numbers from September, we see PSA with around a million cards graded in the month of September. CSG and CGC combined, that's both sports cards and trading card games, at around 90,000. SGC around 69,000. And in fourth place, Beckett BGS at 63,000. My, how the mighty have fallen. Now, I got back into the sports card hobby back in 2018, which feels like an eon ago with how much has changed over the course of the last five years. But back then, one of the things that was a lot different than it is today is the race between BGS and PSA was a much tighter race. Yeah. And there were many people who favored B BGS over PSA. It seems like we've gone very far in the opposite direction. Based on this information, Teapot, do you worry about the value of BGS Labs long-term? Should we be selling? Should we be panicking? Or can Beckett turn this around? Here's what I think. I think that the name Beckett is something highly nostalgic for all of us. If you collected in the 80s or the 90s, it's sort of embedded in your consciousness, that brand, right? More so for the price guide than for the grading service back then, but it's still something that holds, I think, a lot of goodwill in that regard. With that being said, They've obviously been trying to make a lot of changes. They've made leadership changes. They've updated their website. They're trying to move the, the needle. Nobody can say they're resting on their laurels and just have gotten complacent. There is a lot of debate about whether or not the things they are doing are the things that collectors and people who support them in the past want to see. There's been customer service challenges. There's a lot of different concerns. As far as the value of those slabs, I don't know how to project forward whether or not they're going to make some kind of a comeback, or if the combination of those other grading companies you mentioned, plus you know some of the new newcomers, Tag and Arena Club and these others, is just going to continue to put pressure on them. But I think if you look at like an old PSA slab versus a new PSA slab, maybe there's some difference in terms of like the price, but typically it's it's a wash on an important card. In the very least, I think that's how people would see the card and the legacy reputation of Beckett as a grading service. They're going to say. 
Look, it was a BGS 9.5. We know that's a high quality card. We know it could probably cross to a 10 at PSA or have a good shot of it, depending on the subgrades. So I wouldn't worry about like, do I sell my Beckett card long-term? And there's still plenty of people rooting for Beckett who still love them and want to see them you know, make a comeback. Um, I myself you know, have, have mixed reactions toward that, but I do think there are use cases and at times certain cards especially look really nice in a Beckett slab. But there was a time in the hobby when BGS cards were more, a BGS 9.5, believe this or not, ladies and gentlemen, there was a time when a BGS 9.5 was more valuable than a PSA 10 yes. in certain cards. So much so that one of the most horrible stories I've ever heard is Joe Davis from Got Baseball Cards, who, who runs our bulk rating submission service here at Sports Card Investor. He told me that back in the 2000s, he had a customer break a 1986 Fleer Michael Jordan PSA 10 card out of the slab and crossed it over to Beckett and got a BGS 9.5. And at that time, he was, that was a big win. thrilled. Yeah. Can you imagine that today? Doug, is the separation between PSA going to continue to grow, or, or can Beckett turn this around? What do you think about BGS cards today? So I agree with what Tyler said about that name brand being nostalgic, but that's for our generation. What about people collecting under the age of 30? How, what's their impression of Beckett? They've probably never used a physical price guide before, right? Hopefully they're using market movers. So I don't know that that name brand is going to carry them going forward. Now they've made some changes, uh, new leadership, they kind of teased the new uh, label design recently, and they were like, ah, just kidding, when people didn't like it. Uh, and we've seen how they've done some things like partner with auction houses where you can now uh, grade with BGS then go straight to auction. So they're, they're making some moves, and they're moving a little bit in the right direction. And people still like them for really thick cards. Their slabs do well for thick cards. Um, they, you know, black label carries prestige and things of that nature. But they're moving a little slow. And, and another thing that Tyler said that's important is as technology comes into the grading space, TAG being the one that I've you know, had the most positive thoughts about, they're you know, moving at a pace where they might not be able to keep up. So I think it's important that you know, they're looking to make these progressive changes, but maybe go a little bit faster because everybody else is. That said, I don't think it's uh, time to panic or sell off BGS or anything of that nature. I think they're still going to probably maintain around where they are. But as a company in general, they might want to pick up the pace a little bit. Yeah, you know, and they've got a new CEO. He spoke at Industry Summit. I haven't had a chance to meet him directly yet, but he's actually from the tech world, from background of Google and Microsoft. Yeah. And he's saying all the right things. He's saying, we're going to become tech forward. We're going to innovate. We're going to become a leading company again. We'll see. I know it's hard. I mean, he may have all the right intentions and all the abilities. I know it's hard to turn a ship around. And, and he's got a bit of a ship that he's got to turn around here. Hopefully they can get it done because Beckett does have the name. And, and I, personally, I personally still love Beckett slabs for certain types of cards. I still sent all of my patch cards to Beckett to get graded because I like the subgrades yeah. and, and I like how they analyze the patch cards. So there's still certain types of cards that I like in the Beckett slab better. I really hope they can uh, improve these numbers. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of, of Beckett, last, uh, last week, uh, as part of our, our data dive segment here, uh, you did on the Market Movers YouTube channel, you did a video about some of your favorite features in the new Market Movers X. I thought it would be interesting to look at what the data has to say about the value of Beckett cards, BGS cards, compared to PSA cards, and look at a couple of your favorite features in Market Movers to help give the audience that critical data. So take us through this teapot. Yeah, so what I've pulled up is intelligence reports, which is not one of the features I showed last week. This is kind of a, a more analytical feature for the people who really like to get into the data. 
And one of the things this allows you to do is to compare two different grades, for example, within a same set, within a, a certain player from a different year, and to kind of see what that multiplier is. There are other content creators. Filmington's a guy who talks a lot about multipliers yeah. with Bowman and you know, parallels. It's really valuable information and to see how that changes year over year. So what I've done, first one I've pulled up here is 1986 Fleer, and I'm comparing PSA 10s to BGS 9.5s to see the multiplier on different cards. This is the last 30 days. So any cards that have sold in the last 30 days, this is their average prices. You can see when the cards last sold. And I can just scroll down and see, first of all, average 2.94 for these cards that have sold in that wow. time frame. And we do have- So meaning, meaning a PSA 10 on average in 1986 Fleer Basketball is 2.94 times yep. more valuable than a BGS 9.5. That's right. And this That's is- you a know, huge spread. We do have every card from 86 Fleer in here. Obviously PSA 10s are somewhat hard to come by in a lot of these cards, low pops. So of that entire checklist in the last 30 days, you only have what 10 or so cards that have sold, but that's what it's doing. It's taking that data and showing you that comparison. That's higher than a lot of newer sets. So I can jump over and in this case, I can show you, I've put in these filters and I'm looking at 2018 and 2019 Prism Basketball, same comparison. This time we're talking about a 1.57 multiplier. Okay. That's the last 14 days. You get a lot more data in that time frame. You can see I'm, you know, keep scrolling down. A lot of cards to look at. And the nice thing is this will show you greatest to least. You can use this a lot of times for certain arbitrage opportunities in some cases to look for that multiplier being sort of out of whack relative to the average. Same thing here, I've pulled up Luca, and you can see on his cards, this is all of his rookie cards from 2018. Every rookie card we've added, PSA 10 to BGS 9.5 at a 1.7 multiplier. So that's what we're seeing as a number, okay. 1.5 to 1.75 as a multiplier. Here's where it's interesting. You referenced like the historical comparison. This is Luca's base prism, PSA 10 to BGS 9.5. And you can see this data going all the way back to when we first launched Market Movers, yeah. one of the first cards added to the database. <clears throat> all the way back then, October 13th of 2019, $73 versus 50. Uh, 94 versus 79, and you can kind of see that that gap is closer, and then it widens. The and gap it widens. got really big during the period. It looks like from the graph here that during the period when the hobby was the hottest mm -hmm. is when the gap between PSA and BGS actually got the That's biggest. Right. Yeah. Probably because you had the most new people streaming in and buying cards for the first time, and they're all going towards a PSA 10. Yeah. And that viral clip from Kendrick Perkins. You remember <laughs> that? You know, if it ain't PSA. It ain't anything. What did he say? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, so that's really interesting historically to look at. And that kind of speaks to your point, Doug, that like new people coming into the yeah. hobby, they don't remember the history of BGS being what it was. You can see that effect right there on that graph. That's awesome stuff, Teapot. Thanks for sharing. And if you, of course, want to go play around with all these graphs yourself, that's all the new Market Movers X. You can subscribe by going to sportscardinvestor.com, clicking on Market Movers in the main menu bar. And while you're there on sportscardinvestor.com, we just talked a lot about the different grading companies. We also offer discounted card grading with all the different grading companies, including free pre-screening. Hit the grading page. You go to sportscardinvestor.com, click grading in the main menu bar. Okay, more topics to talk about today. We're not gonna take a commercial break since I just gave you a couple commercials there. So we're just gonna roll right into our mailbag segment. And the first question proposed by the audience is around F1 cards. The F1 card market, what's going on with the F card, mar uh, card market? And Verstappen is dominant, yeah, right? Yeah. Just, won, just won another title, has won six of the last seven races, clinched the world title. But does this make the sport more boring from an investment and collecting standpoint? How does that affect the card market? Thoughts, Doug? 
Well, the whole F1 thing is really interesting to me in general because the boom happened with sort of a perfect storm of the Netflix series drive to survive, the first Topps Chrome Edition cards coming out, and it just kind of came together all at once uh, as people started to become interested in the sport. The popularity boomed, the first card set came out. So that makes sense to me. But then when you go to the second year of F1, the popularity just isn't there. And then you have to start looking at the sport as a whole. You know, how many people are truly are fans of the sport or were they just fans of the moment? I think some things that kind of hurt us are Verstappen's dominance. You kind of go into watching a race with the outcome predetermined. Now, the race has other very interesting moments throughout the race and other battles going on, but as far as first place, it's Verstappen 90% of the time, right? He's already locked up the championship. So the element of surprise is completely gone there to an extent. I think that does hurt. also think that it comes on at 8 in the morning or 6 in the morning. That hurts. Not a lot of people, especially on the West Coast, are getting up to watch F1. So it's availability to us and the excitement factor might factor into that a little bit. But also, I think the market is just correcting itself. There was just an unnatural boom because of that perfect storm, and now we're going to settle into what it should be, and I think you'll see a, a gradual rise. I don't think it'll plateau or drop. I think it will start to, to gradually come up. Do you see that in the data in Market Movers X, T-Pot? 100%. Yeah, well said, Doug. This is like... I, I, there's been a debate raging for the last two years since this took off, largely due to Drive to Survive, and the debate is people saying, this is a pump and dump fad, this isn't real. And other people saying, absolutely it's real. I saw the documentary, I'm interested, I love this sport. The reality, like with most things, it's probably somewhere in yeah. between. There are definitely a net positive of people, especially in the US, now interested in regularly following F1. There's also a lot of those flippers who came in, saw hot money, got involved, pumped the prices way up. If you look at the market pulse data that we have, comparing our SCI 500 to the Formula One index that we built, you're talking about the numbers for the last year. Mm. This is the last 365 days. They're almost identical, down 22.3% for SCI 500, 23 for Formula One. But this is not the same story. Wow, look at that middle part. Different, decli steady decline for SCI 500 with the rest of the yeah. card market. And you had this huge run up and now the fun, you know, the, the, the fall. And this is where that hot money came in. Yeah. And this is where the hot money went out and it's back down and it's equalized. One thing I wonder about this is, we talk about NBA bas basketball investing being better in some ways than other sports because it's a superstar-driven league. Yeah. But you do have multiple superstars. Multiple superstars. With Formula One, yep. they put out this product, yep. and you have like six different yeah. base cards yep. of the yep. 10 different racers. How many people want a third year, one of six in the base checklist, you know, even Lewis Hamilton or Verstappen? I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, yeah and, and that's one of my biggest problems with F1, just from an investability standpoint, and even from a collecting standpoint, it's the lack of variety from that standpoint, right? I mean, you said even in a superstar-driven league like the NBA is, there's a bunch of superstars, and even on the same team, yeah. there's multiple guys to collect even on the same team. And you don't obviously get that in F1. And not only that, but then of course, F1's one of the sports yeah. where the drivers are actually shielded, they're covered up. When they're racing, you don't actually see them at all. Like, you know, they're all, they're, you know, they're all covered up inside the vehicles. So I, I, I think it's got a lot of things going against it from both a collecting and investing standpoint. And that's not to say that there aren't hardcore collectors out there who really enjoy it, and that's wonderful, and if you really enjoy it, you should buy it and you should collect. But I also think there was a pretty big hype bubble going on for a few months there, as the Market Movers graph clearly shows. Yeah. Speaking of hype bubbles, <laughs> speaking of hype bubbles, let's go to our second mailbag topic. It's around sets like Project 2020 and Project 70, and if they have long-term value. Now, I say hype bubble because there was a time, a couple years ago, two years ago, during the pandemic, 
when Project 2020 was in full swing the summer of 2020 and everybody in the sports card community, it seemed like, was going berserk over Project 2020 and these cards were being flipped at an unbelievable pace. And it got to the point where the recreation of one of Mike Trout's rookie cards became as valuable as Mike Trout's actual rookie card. And I did a video on the Sports Card Investor channel, which at that time was not popular. (laughs) I took a ton of heat from that video and I said, this is insane. Project 2020 is going to crash. It's the actual sports cards that are going to be the ones that retain more value in the long run. Shortly after I did that video, that prophecy came true. I then took even more heat from people who were just trying to flip Project 2020 and got and got and, and, and held it, but it is what it is. Now, here we are a couple years later. We've seen, by the way, another thing I said in the Project 2020 video was Topps has had such success with Project 2020, yeah. they're going to do this every year. And people in my comments said, no way, they're not going to do it again until 2030. That Now we got Project 70, mm-hmm. which even more cards, right? And, other, and there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's wonderful. I think it's all wonderful from a collecting standpoint. But I'm not buying into any of this in terms of like long-term investing value, but it's great to collect. Teapot, show us some of the cards and, and tell us your take. Well, I love the concept. I liked it when it came out. I love that cards are art in many, in many ways, whether it's good photography or actually an artistic rendition and depiction of the player. I like sets like uh, Court Kings that have variety of artistic takes year over year. And I love that they're doing this. And you, like you said, I can go to price movements and I simply put in uh, Topps Project. And so I can scroll down. Here's that Ermsey card you were talking about, the Ermsey Trout that was going for $4,000 or whatever it was at one point. How much today? $400? $400. That's the most expensive card from uh, t- Project 2020. Wow. Now, and you can scroll down. You know, the print runs were very different on the early yep. ones that were released. But these are definitely visually compelling, really unique takes, a lot of variety. Like the different artists are definitely doing very, very different things. And there, it was kind of a lot of fun to debate a lot of that. Yeah. Now, I will say, I like even actually the Project 70 ones, I think even a little bit better. They've been some really cool ones. I would love to see this as like an Easter egg insert mm-hmm. in every Topps product, meaning don't put it, maybe it has stated odds, maybe it doesn't. In the 90s, when Skybox came out with autographics, you could get those in, in like every Skybox product with different inserted pack odds. Do it that way, have them be like short print and super short print varieties, maybe a one of one like a sketch card with the artist's autograph on it, and just insert them in the products and make it a chase as opposed to you know just running the, the presses on them. I think they'd hold a lot more value, they'd be more iconic, and then you wouldn't have this, maybe you have them as a hit instead of like a redemption that you can't ever fulfill. The interesting thing is now with the prices these cards have fallen to today, I'd actually like to buy the whole set of Topps Project 2020. Yeah, I, think there were, I think there were maybe 400 total cards. They're, they're getting, they've got a lot of them, I mean, they got them to the point now where you could actually obtain the entire yeah. set and you don't have to take out a second or third mortgage and sell your two cars in order to afford it, which is nice because they are beautiful cards yeah. to collect. But I don't know that the investment value is there. But what do you think, Doug? Not investable, certainly not. So this is another perfect storm situation, right? This was at the very beginning of the pandemic. This was when people were at home, they were bored, they had stimulus money, whatever it is, they're looking for a hobby. This is a thing that brought a lot of people back into the hobby because a lot of these cards were very nostalgic. They captured on a lot of cards from the 80s from when we were growing up. And, you know, me personally, I got into these because of the art. I bought 
I started at number, the card number four. So I started at Trout Ermsey. I was buying them straight from Tops for, what were they, 15, 20 bucks a piece. And, you know, I was having a lot of fun just collecting them. Then I saw the value. But that value brought a lot of people into the hobby and it's kept people it into the hobby. It did. Uh, it's also hurt some people in the hobby, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, those early, these cards were all print to order. So you had 24 or 48 hours to buy as many as you wanted, then they would print them and send them out. Those first 10, 20, whatever, 50 cards were really low print run, and there probably is some investability there. But as a set, it's purely collection, and I think it's actually pretty awesome. I like a lot of the art. So yeah. for me, I love it as a collector. Investability, maybe if you're in on the early print runs, and that's about it. Beautiful art. I've gotten, I've gotten fortunate enough to meet some of the artists, like Blake yeah. Jamison. They do amazing work. I do love it from a collectability standpoint. The Blake Jamison, McGuire is one of the ones that got up to an 18,000 print yeah. run, yeah. right? Whereas the early ones were 1,000. Yeah, well, and there were some like that, that went even way yeah. beyond 18,000, yeah. if I remember. Yeah, the right. big one was the Griffey, the Griffey Shore. Griffey Jr., yeah. It was like either sure. card 99 or yeah. card 100 or something like that. That's like a, a very highly memed card because I yeah. think it broke like 100,000 print run or something crazy. Yeah. Unbelievable. Those were the days. Were those not the days, ladies and gentlemen, when everything was crazy back then? It was the wild, wild west of sports cards. Unbelievable. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please give us a like, please give us a subscribe, and give us some topics for next week. In our mail day section, we cover topics from you, the audience, so please leave some topics in the comments below that you'd like to hear us talk about next week. And of course, please check out our grading service at Sports Card Investor, as well as Market Movers X, and you can do both of those by going to sportscardinvestor.com and looking for them in the main menu bar. We appreciate you watching. We'll see you soon with our next episode. Take care. Thank you.